This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. On August 22nd, 1970, Manchester United faced off against Arsenal Football Club in an early season match. Both teams had high expectations. Manchester United was looking to return to the form that won them the league championship two years prior, while Arsenal was hoping to capitalize on early season momentum after a decade of mediocrity. The top scorer on Manchester United was George Best, a Northern Irish forward considered one of the most skilled athletes in Europe. He was even nicknamed the Fifth Beatle, both for his talents and for his looks. As Best walked onto the football pitch that day, he found himself face to face with a familiar foe, an Arsenal player named Peter Storey. Like George Best, Story had quite the reputation, not as the good-looking face of the sport, but as a hatchet man and enforcer, the player whose main contribution on the field was brutalizing the other team. Story had a job to do during that August 22nd match against Manchester United to prevent George Best from scoring at all cost. It wasn't just a professional rivalry. It was also personal. George Best had once criticized Story's talents in the press, and Story was not the kind of person to forgive something like that. Just before the match began, Story approached Best and growled, I'm gonna break your legs. When the game began, Story was true to his word. Shortly after kickoff, the ball found its way into George Best's possession. As Best dribbled towards the goal, Story barreled towards him and tackled him as hard as he could. As Best struggled to pick himself off the grass, he realized he wasn't just dealing with a football defender in Peter's story. He was dealing with a gangster who happened to play football. Welcome to Sports Criminals, a ParCast original. Every week, we dive into the dark side of sports history and look at athletes who not only broke the law, but broke the rules and covenants of their sport. We'll also uncover how their actions impacted the history of the sport they played. I'm Tim Johnson. 
And I'm Carter Roy. You can find episodes of Sports Criminals and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Sports Criminals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Sports Criminals in the search bar. At Parcast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Peter Story was an English football player with a reputation for physical brutality on the field. It translated to a scandalous criminal career after his retirement. By the time he was 40, Story had not only won an English Football League championship, but he had also been convicted of counterfeit and running a brothel. This week, we'll explore Story's football career and what led him to organized crime. Next week, we'll discover how his criminal schemes collapsed and landed him in jail. Peter Story was born on September 7, 1945, to working-class parents in Farham, Surrey, in southeast England. He grew up in a tiny apartment without electricity in the small village of Ash. He spent his days as a self-described urchin, playing football until dark with his friends on the street. While Story never considered himself a bully, he also prided himself on never backing down when challenged, a trait that served him well on the football field. Story's athletic abilities were obvious as soon as he started playing competitive matches at age 10. Encouraged by both his parents and teachers, Story devoted most of his time to football, even at the expense of his education. He idolized Jack Kelsey, the goalkeeper for London's Arsenal Football Club. He dreamed of one day playing for that same storied franchise. As a child, however, the 50 miles between Story's working-class home and Arsenal Stadium felt like the distance between the Earth and the Moon. But even in a small village like Ash, Story's outsized talent didn't go unnoticed. In 1961, when Story was 15, he was invited to try out with professional clubs across the country. The English national team noticed his potential too. He was selected for a youth team representing England in a match against the Republic of Ireland. When Story returned home to Ash after playing with the national youth team, he was greeted by George May, a well-known scout for Arsenal. Story knew May's presence could only mean one thing. He was getting a shot to play with his favorite club. As soon as they sat down for tea, May offered him the opportunity to play football for Arsenal. All his dreams were coming true. With his family's backing, 15-year-old Story ended his formal education and officially signed with Arsenal that July. He began an apprenticeship, the youngest level of Arsenal football, commuting two and a half hours each morning to practice with the team. Story spent the next three seasons in the lower levels of Arsenal, fighting to differentiate himself from other teenagers in the club's apprenticeship program. Many of his older teammates looked down on his working-class upbringing and rough-around-the-edges play. But Story resolved to prove his teammates wrong and play even harder. And in 1965, 19-year-old Story was named to the reserve squad and could be called up to the first team in the event of an injury. On the reserve team, Story gained a reputation as a versatile defender who took great pride in stifling the other team's attackers. On the pitch, 
he followed his one guiding mantra, they shall not pass. Finally, in the summer of 1965, Story made Arsenal's first team. He was a surprise addition to the senior roster for a six-match preseason tour through the West Indies. Story's opportunity came at a time of flux for the team, which had just suffered a series of embarrassingly poor seasons. Arsenal's manager, Billy Wright, had difficulty commanding the players' respect. To steady his nerves, Wright was increasingly turning to alcohol. Searching for any sort of spark that could help get the team out of its funk, Wright decided on a roster change. On October 29, 1965, Wright took Story aside and told him what he had dreamed of hearing since he was a young boy. Tomorrow, Story would be the starting left back for Arsenal, replacing veteran defender Billy McCullough. Story immediately felt both elation and fear. He knew he had to prove he was worth benching an established member of the team and that he belonged at the highest level of English football. The next day, 20-year-old Peter Story stepped out onto the pitch at Leicester's Filbert Street Stadium, greeted with the sounds of 50,000 rabid football fans, mostly supporters of his opponent. But once the opening whistle blew, Story put the anxieties out of his head. As the starting left back, Story faced off with Leicester City's right winger, Jackie Sinclair. Sinclair's finesse and passing ability proved to be a significant challenge for Story, but the young defender stayed focused and put up a fight. In the first half, Story saw an opportunity to make his presence known. Just after Sinclair passed the ball downfield, Story roughly slammed into the winger, leveling him. Story was called for a foul, which he brushed off. That was just a part of his game, as fans would soon see. As the match progressed, Story felt more confident. He delivered two more brutal tackles to opposing players, both of which required attention from the training staff before they could continue. Despite Story's best physical efforts, Arsenal lost 3-1. However, the game was a success for the young defender. He had proved that he belonged in the first division. Now, he'd need to work as hard as he ever had to stay there. It wouldn't be easy to maintain a spot as a starter with Arsenal's first team, especially given the dysfunction within the organization. Conflict was common in the Arsenal locker room, driven by club manager Wright's ineffective leadership and the discord between the older and younger players. But part of becoming a professional was learning to tune out those distractions and stay focused on the game at hand. And Story did that. In his second game of the 1965 season against Leeds, Story got another taste of what it meant to be a professional. Faced off with another player known for his tough tactics, the game turned rough. When the refs weren't looking, the Leeds defender headbutted Story just above the eye. Story was left woozy, barely staying on his feet as his assailant trotted off. When Story explained to his teammates what happened, they simply laughed and mockingly welcomed him to the league. That leads forward, coincidentally named Jim Story, was known for that kind of attack on opponents. But Story didn't find the Glasgow kiss he had received as funny as his teammates did. He grew to hate both Jim Story and the team he played for. More importantly, Story recognized what the league would require of him. 
It wasn't enough to be a great defender. He needed to be as vicious as the opponents he faced. In order to survive, he needed to become more than a defender. He had to be someone the team could depend on to dish out outside the rules punishment to opposing players. He needed to be feared on the pitch. Up next, Peter's story becomes a hatchet man. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now back to the story. British football, as Peter Story said, was no place for shrinking violets. By the time he made it to the top league in 1965 as a fresh-faced 20-year-old, each team he faced had their own hatchet man who targeted and attacked opposing players, rules be damned. Leeds was one of the first teams that deployed a hatchet man, often targeting one player for both verbal and physical abuse. After Story's first encounter with the team's dirty ways, he was determined to dish it out as much as he took it. After his first win, a 6-2 home victory over Sheffield United on November 6, 1965, an elated Story entered the locker room only to find himself on the receiving end of a scathing attack by manager Billy Wright. Despite the fact that the game was a blowout, Wright blamed Story for Sheffield's second goal. If he made a similar mistake in a closer game, it could cost them an important result. However, Story wasn't discouraged by Wright's scathing criticism. He was motivated by it. He was determined to prove that he could be the toughest defender in the league, willing to do whatever it took to prevent the other team from scoring. The interactions between Story and opposing players got nastier with every match, from headbutting to off-ball tackling to stomping with their spikes. Unlike his first games in the league, Story was no longer angry or surprised by it. It was simply how the game was played. If the opponents played dirty, he'd have to play dirtier. Despite Story's growth from novice player to respected and feared hatchet man, Arsenal's 1965 season was dismal. No one took it harder than manager Billy Wright, whose heavy drinking escalated with each loss. By the end of the season, Wright couldn't even bear to watch the game from the sidelines. Instead, he sat in the locker room by himself and got periodic updates on the score from assistant coaches. When the season ended in 1966, Arsenal finished a disappointing 14th place out of 20. Although they had avoided relegation into a lower league, the poor finish demanded consequences. So, Billy Wright was quietly fired. With such poor results, the future looked bleak for Arsenal. But Story remained hopeful. The team could only go up from here. The 1966 season was a transitional one for Arsenal. They had a new manager, Bertie Mee, who had been promoted from physical trainer. Mee immediately began rebuilding, cutting players who weren't contributing and bringing in fresh faces who helped both on the field and in the locker room. He also recognized Story's ability on the ball and shifted him from left back to midfield. 
As the team shifted and reconstituted around him, Story continued his development as a hatchet man. But not everyone was a fan of his rough-and-tumble play. While Story called his style no-nonsense, the reporters of the time described it as unnecessary. Nevertheless, Arsenal's new makeup and Story's rough tactics helped them get off to a much better start in 1966, winning their first three matches. It wasn't long before opposing offensive players took exception to Story's physical play. During a match against Gillingham, Story suffered a rough challenge from forward Charlie Crickmore. Determined to have the final say, Story struck back. The ensuing brawl spread into the stands as fans jumped the fence and threw themselves into the fray with the players. After yet another scuffle with Charlie Crickmore and other Gillingham players a few days later, Story's manager took him aside. He warned Story that the referees might start treating him a little more harshly if his behavior became too blatant and consistently disrupted games. Over the course of the next season, Story learned how to get away with his rough challenges under the referee's radar. With Story manning the midfield, Arsenal finished the 1966-1967 season in seventh place. Although they weren't yet in the upper echelon of teams, they were clearly improving. Not only was Arsenal on the rise, so was Peter Story's personal life. His fame off the pitch was growing, and he took full advantage of his new celebrity. He and his teammates went out partying every night, drinking and meeting women. As Story put it, he was making up for lost time that was spent earlier in his youth focused solely on football. Story's rough style of play and his skill at executing it grew more appreciated by the team around him. Before a match, either his manager or one of the coaches would highlight an opposing player and pointedly tell Story, you know what to do. And he did what he was told, kicking and tackling and doing whatever he could to take that player out of the game. Story became more practiced at his craft, learning to disguise his brutal attacks on opposing players as simply accidental, so the referees wouldn't immediately give him a yellow or red card. The physical punishment he dished out was almost secondary to the psychological threat he created in the minds of his opponents. They knew at any moment of the game, Story could make his presence felt and take them out with a bone-crushing tackle. Just as Story's career was taking off, his personal life became more complicated. In 1969, the 23-year-old footballer got married to a hairdresser named Susan. His nuptials didn't change his lifestyle, however. Story loved his pop star life. Even though he was married, his hard partying and womanizing ways continued unabated. Unsurprisingly, his marriage began to crumble after only a few months. While he didn't let the conflict in his personal life affect him on the football pitch, the criticisms of his playing style elicited a stronger reaction. One night, while waiting to board a charter plane with the team, Story spotted a reporter who had been hypercritical of his physical style of play. Nearly losing control, Story confronted the reporter and whispered a threat in his ear. Luckily, the confrontation didn't escalate any further. Even though he was now an established professional football player, Story couldn't help but focus on those who he believed criticized him unfairly. 
The negative press didn't just anger him, it motivated him to play harder and tackle rougher. And once he was off the field, dive even deeper into his hard partying lifestyle. Despite the criticisms, Story and Arsenal continued to improve. On April 28, 1970, Arsenal hosted Belgium's Anderlecht football to determine the winner of the Fairs Cup. The Intercities Fairs Cup was a tournament played between various football clubs in Europe. While not as prestigious as other cups, in 1970 it mattered a great deal to Arsenal. The club hadn't won a trophy of any kind in 17 years. Winning the Fairs Cup was the perfect opportunity to end that drought. But doing so wouldn't be easy. Having recently lost 3-1 in Belgium, Arsenal had to blow out Anderlecht to win the tournament by goal differential. In order for Arsenal to have a chance, Story had to shut down the Anderlecht offense. He lived up to expectations. Story and the rest of the defense stifled any opportunities the Belgians might have had, allowing Arsenal's offense to keep possession of the ball and maintain pressure on the questionable Anderlecht defense. When all was said and done, Story and the rest of his team were the Fairs Cup champions. It was a remarkable turnaround for a team that had nearly faced relegation only four years before, during Story's rookie year. The success gave them momentum. As the 1970-71 season began in August, Arsenal had ambitions of threatening leads for the first division championship. The team also believed it could win the FA Cup, a separate tournament of all English teams. Winning both the First Division Championship and the FA Cup is a feat known as a double. In 1970, the double had only been accomplished three times before in English football history and only once in the last 75 years. In the First Division, Story and Arsenal spent much of the season chasing Leeds, who had won the league two years before and were well-positioned to win the double themselves. As the calendar shifted to February 1971, Arsenal needed to put together a significant winning streak if they wanted to have any chance of catching Leeds. During this crucial part of the season, Story's personal life took a downward turn. On February 1st, 1971, Story returned home to his flat after a usual night of drinking to find that his wife had left. Story knew his refusal to change his ways had led to his marriage deteriorating, but the separation barely seemed to bother him. He had too much else to focus on, from his football career to the partying that he had sacrificed his marriage to pursue. As always, Story was able to put his personal issues aside and concentrate on the task at hand, winning the double. Arsenal won the next nine games, scoring 16 goals in that stretch. Crucially, Story's defense allowed only one opponent goal over those nine games. If Arsenal and Leeds ended up tied on overall points, the tiebreaker would be goal differential. Thanks to Story's defensive efforts, Arsenal would have the advantage over their rivals in that respect. On March 27, 1971, Arsenal faced off in the tournament's semifinal game against Stoke City. The teams had history. The last time they played, Stoke City had embarrassed Arsenal 5-0. At first, the team seemed to pick up where they left off. Story and the defense couldn't stop Stoke City, who scored two goals before halftime. 
Shortly after the second half started, Story found himself in a position to do something, not on defense, but on offense. A throw-in into the opponent's penalty box bounced off a pair of teammates and went right to Story. He quickly fired off a shot that soared past the goalkeeper and into the net. They were still down by a goal, but they had momentum, and there was plenty of game left. As the second half wore on, however, the second goal didn't materialize. The score remained stuck at 2-1 as the game hit 90 minutes and proceeded into limited stoppage time. Arsenal had mere seconds to tie the game, or else their chances at the FA Cup and a double would evaporate. At the last second, there was a glimmer of hope. A corner kick in the opponent's area led to an Arsenal shot on an open goal. A Stoke City defender, in desperation, reached out and batted away the ball with his hand. Stoke City had prevented the equalizer, but at the cost of a penalty kick. It was the perfect opportunity for Arsenal to level the score. Although it may seem like an automatic goal, a penalty kick is the ultimate test of nerves. It requires the player to have unwavering confidence and the ability to read a goalkeeper's body language. Even the most minute of twitches can signal which way the keeper will dive. Normally, the honor goes to a team's best attacker, but that day, Arsenal's designated penalty taker was injured. It wouldn't be the backup striker or a skilled winger taking the kick. It would be Peter Story. Story wasn't the best shooter on the team, but he had the ability to remain calm and keep his nerves in check. The referee handed Story the ball. Story made eye contact with Gordon Banks, the Stoke City goalkeeper who was considered the best in the world. Over 50,000 people watched breathlessly in the stands. Despite his reputation of being cool under pressure, Story hadn't felt so nervous in his life. Story placed the ball down in front of him. He took a few steps back and, drenched in sweat, prepared to take the kick. Just before making contact with the ball, Story spotted Gordon Banks flinching towards his right. Story had his chance. He struck the ball and sent it in the opposite direction. Banks' knees buckled as he realized he had guessed wrong. The ball bounced past him and hit the back of the net. Story had done it. He had tied the game. Because the game ended in a draw, Arsenal and Stoke City played again four days later to determine a winner. This time, Arsenal cruised to a two-to-nothing victory. Story felt that Stoke City had already been mentally defeated by the failure to win the previous match. Now, the stage was set for a chance to win both the league championship and the FA Cup, completing the double and reaching the pinnacle of the sport. Coming up, Peter Story and Arsenal go for the double. Now, back to the story. Despite the punishing toll of his hard partying lifestyle, 25-year-old Peter Story had reached the apex of his professional football career. In May of 1971, he was a key part of a successful Arsenal team making a run at both the First Division Championship and the FA Cup. He was also a hero for scoring two goals in the 1971 FA Cup semifinal against Stoke City to stage a miraculous comeback. 
On May 1, 1971, Story once again faced off against Stoke City, this time in a regular league match. The defeat in the FA Cup was fresh in the Stoke players' minds. They played like they had a chip on their shoulders, frustrating the Arsenal team and keeping it close through the first half. Eager to make something happen, Story went for a characteristic rough tackle and immediately knew something was wrong. As he tried to stand, he realized he couldn't put any weight on one ankle. Story was diagnosed with ligament damage, leaving him on crutches and unable to even consider playing football again for weeks. Story was forced to the sidelines as Arsenal went on to win the first division championship without him. Frustrated and bitter that he wasn't able to be on the field for the championship-clinching match against Tottenham on May 3, 1971, Story was determined to play in the FA Cup final match against Liverpool five days later. Despite the fact that his ankle was still definitely injured, Story convinced the manager to let him start. Midway through the game, Story's fears were realized when the pain in his ankle flared up. With Story noticeably limping, his manager had no choice but to take him out of the game early in the second half. Even without Story on the pitch, the game was still tied after the end of regulation. The game went into extra time, two 15-minute periods to determine the winner. Liverpool scored first in the additional period, but Arsenal managed a stunning comeback to win 2-1. Arsenal had won the FA Cup, securing the prestigious double. The team, the manager, and the coaches were ecstatic, embracing each other on the pitch as the fans celebrated in the stands. But Peter Story barely felt anything. Sitting on the bench, nursing his injured ankle, he couldn't help but feel like he hadn't contributed to his team's victory. It had been an exhilarating, magical season for Arsenal that had ended in abject triumph, except for Peter Story. The end of his 1971 season foreshadowed what the next few years would have in store for Peter Story, as he battled ankle and leg injuries that left him often benched by the team. Story began harboring resentments toward both his manager and Arsenal over the next few years. As the years passed and the triumphs of 1971 slipped further into the past, both Story and his team slowly faded from relevance. Arsenal with Story never again achieved the success they did in the 1970-1971 season, finishing in second place in the first division next year while losing in the FA Cup final. The team only continued its downward trajectory from there, finishing in 10th place in 1974 and 16th in 1975. Through their descent, Story struggled to stay on the pitch thanks to a series of leg injuries. When Story began playing with Arsenal, they were a bottom feeder of English football. They became a powerhouse with their 1971 successes, then had fallen back to the bottom of the league. Story's career had come full circle, and he wasn't happy about it. By 1975, Story was at a crossroads. He was 30 years old and at the tail end of his athletic career. He was no longer on Arsenal's first team, instead demoted to the reserve squad due to injuries and inconsistent play. As Story's struggles worsened, his drinking intensified 
his motivation to play declined, and his personal life became rockier. He had recently gotten married to a Scottish woman named Kathy he had met at the Playboy Club in London. Just like his first marriage, this one was quickly in troubled waters, as Kathy objected to Story's constant drinking and partying. All the conflicts in Story's life were exacerbated by one thing, money. The finances of playing professional football were sometimes a challenge, especially at Arsenal, which was known for underpaying its players. Even in the successful 1970-1971 season, Story only made 100 pounds a week, nearly 2,000 US dollars in today's money. There was no retirement plan for over-the-hill football players. With his career bottoming out at age 30, and of course, having no other real skills or much formal education, Story needed to be creative to ensure his financial security after he stepped off the pitch for the final time. So Peter Story decided to invest in a business he understood, or at least had experience in, a pub. In the summer of 1975, he paid 5,000 pounds to invest in a pub called the Jolly Farmers. Story had nothing to do with the day-to-day operations. His role was simply to drink and hopefully attract Arsenal supporters to the establishment. It didn't matter to Story that some of those supporters came from less than savory walks of life. To him, it didn't matter that the Jolly Farmers was full of local mobsters, drug smugglers, and train robbers. If these lowlifes would drink with him, they were fine in his book. Unsurprisingly, investing in a pub did not help alleviate Story's excessive drinking and partying. He spent more and more time at the Jolly Farmers, even sleeping there some nights instead of returning home to his wife. And, of course, along with the alcohol, there were always plenty of female admirers to keep his attention. His new marriage be damned. Story's increasingly hectic personal life didn't do any favors for his comeback attempt with Arsenal. In late 1975, a series of injuries to the first team opened a spot on the roster for him, but it was clear that he'd both lost a step and didn't have the best attitude. During a game against his old rival, Stoke City, Story was given a red card and ejected from the game after kicking an opposing player. Angry, Stoke City fans shouted obscenities at him as he walked off. One even threw a rock at his face. By early 1976, Story decided he'd had enough. Of the fans that treated him badly, of the organization that undervalued and underpaid him, and of the team that simply wasn't good enough to win. After a particularly bad loss in late February, Story informed his manager that he was done for the season. Now that he had much more free time on his hands, Story was able to focus on his true passion, drinking. His pub opened at 11 in the morning and closed at 11 at night, during which Story drank to his heart's content. Late in the summer of 1976, Story received a call at his bar from an old teammate, Terry Neal. Bertie Mee, manager of Arsenal for the past 12 seasons, had resigned. Neal had been made the new manager and wanted to bring Story back into the Arsenal fold. Even though Story had vowed he was finished with Arsenal, this opportunity was too good to pass up. With his old teammate in charge, surely Story would be given a prominent role on the team. 
but making his comeback wasn't as easy as Story thought. He was severely out of shape after months of non-stop drinking and struggled on the field. Despite the turnover in management, Story started the season as a bench player, fighting for minutes with his younger teammates. Story was jealous. He wished he could turn back the clock to 1965. Not only was his body not prepared for the rigors of a full season, he wasn't mentally focused either. Later, Story admitted that he was more occupied with the pub than with his team. He was also branching out in his business dealings, buying a minicab company whose drivers often patronized his pub. In addition to the minicab drivers, the pub began to attract even more patrons from England's criminal underworld. As his playing career faded, Story gravitated closer to these pub regulars. He felt like they understood each other. It was during this season that Story had his first brush with the law in an incident that fully illuminated his unstable mindset both to himself and to the Arsenal management. Sometime in 1976, 31-year-old Story was driving back from giving a teammate a ride and came to an intersection where a crossing guard was shepherding a handful of pedestrians. After the people had crossed and the guard was walking back to the sidewalk, Story inched his car forward. He was jolted by the sounds of the crossing guard smacking a stop sign on the roof of his car. Refusing to let this challenge pass, Story jumped out and gave the crossing guard a piece of his mind. Story claimed he and the crossing guard simply had an argument, after which Story got back into his car and sped off. However, the crossing guard had a different story. He claimed that Story headbutted him. With an eyewitness backing up this second version, the police were inclined to believe the crossing guard. After all, Story was a famously dirty-playing hatchet man. Despite his firm denials, Story was arrested and charged with assault. He was found guilty in order to pay an undisclosed fine. After walking out of the courthouse, Story went right back to his beloved pub, where he was always greeted warmly and where his over-the-top lifestyle was celebrated. Later that year, his second wife Kathy gave birth to their daughter. By then, however, their marriage had completely collapsed. Story couldn't even bring himself to enjoy the birth of his child. Story's life was in free fall both personally and professionally. On January 29, 1977, he played his final game for Arsenal. Once again, the team was rebuilding and couldn't handle Story's drinking or poor performance any longer. After an illustrious 16-year career with the club, he was transferred to fellow First Division team Fulham in March of 1977. Although he wasn't happy about it, Story reported to work at Fulham. He was disgusted by what he found. He thought it was barely above an intramural squad compared to Arsenal's high-class professionalism. He knew that he was finally facing the end. On September 10th, 1977, 32-year-old Peter Story played in his last professional soccer match against another old rival, Tottenham. As he played, Story heard his entire career's worth of boos and jeers from the crowd. He and his Fulham team lost one to nothing, an ignominious end to both a game 
and a career. As Story jogged off the field for the last time, getting an earful of abuse from the Tottenham faithful, he thought about what his next chapter would be. Whatever it was, he knew one thing for sure. It would involve the pub. When Story walked away from his old life as a professional football player, he also left behind the people that populated that world. The teammates, the rival players, the ex-wives. He found himself a new social circle at the pub, full of new friends who enjoyed a drink as much as he did. They were also used to dealing with conflict through acts of violence, just as Story once did on the field. And it wasn't long before the criminal world of his new friends would drag him down too. Thanks again for listening to Sports Criminals. We'll be back next week with part two of Peter Story. We'll follow his post-football life and descent into the criminal underworld. In addition to the many sources we used, we found Peter Story's autobiography, True Story, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Sports Criminals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Sports Criminals, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Sports Criminals on Spotify, just open the app and type sports criminals in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Sports Criminals was created by Max Cutler and is ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Russell Nash with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Carly Madden. This episode of Sports Criminals was written by Ryan Lee with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon and stars Tim Johnson and Carter Roy. 